Hey, Three Crosses Church family. My name is AJ Venegas. I'm the director of Life Groups and Discipleship here at Three Crosses. And today, I want to talk to you about how you are a contributor. If you've been around the church community long enough, you may have heard this saying, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This phrase comes from a document written by church leaders in the mid 1600s titled the Westminster Catechism. And it's actually become a hope-filled slogan for many church congregants in America over the last several hundred years. But being the question asking person that I am, I find myself wondering, what do these Christianese concepts actually mean? What does it actually look like for me to glorify God? What does it mean for me to enjoy him forever? That seems like an awfully long time. And what does it mean that these two things constitute the quote unquote end game or telos, final destination or ultimate purpose of man? Well, as we near the end of this devotional series, I want to continue our discussion on these end game questions and answer this specific question. Where is this holy sanctification process headed anyway? Let's revisit the first of my litany of questions here. What does it mean to glorify God? The Hebrew term for glory is kavod. And many lexicons have pointed out that kavod carries the meaning of weighty or heavy. So our chief end is to make God literally heavy? Well, not exactly. Instead, think of the different ways we use heavy or weighty today in our language. When we're saddened by a tragic loss, we often say, this situation is weighing heavy on my soul. When we're overwhelmed by the depth or importance of a particular study or lesson, we say that this was a weighty topic. So in one sense, the word kavod is conveying a significance or an escalation of importance that can affect someone on a deep level. In 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11, David prays, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the kavod, the glory, and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Did you catch the words that kavod was associated with there? Greatness, power, victory, majesty, all elevating the status of God. Yet, in another sense, the Hebrew scriptures often tell us that this phrase, kavod, or glory of the Lord, is another way the Hebrew Bible describes God's presence that comes to dwell in places like the tabernacle or the temple, which evokes a response of worship. You can see Exodus 40 or 1 Kings 8. So, when we put these two pieces together, they seem to fit hand in glove. Glorifying God, bringing him kavod, involves living in a certain way that elevates his significance, but this really only happens by acknowledging and abiding in God's presence in this world. You might be wondering, okay, seems like a convoluted definition here. Just tell me how am I supposed to do this? 
Well, this is where we hope you have been capturing a better understanding of the fundamental concepts the Bible encapsulates in this image of God concept and how this sort of acts as a springboard upon which we're able to jump into God glorifying actions. As you've seen throughout this entire series, we bring kavod to God simply by adhering to the biblical truth about who we are and then aligning what we do and how we do that with God's vision of flourishing. Now, let me unpack those three different categories that I just said, who we are, what we do, and how we do it, starting with who we are. When I think about who we are, I love the song, So Will I by Hillsong. It has one line that says, I can see your heart in 8 billion different ways. So true. As human image bearers of God, all of us have been designed to be the tselem of God. Tselem is the Hebrew word for image, which across the scriptures also carries the meaning of a literal idol statue. Now catch this amazing truth. Merely by living on this earth as a human, we represent God's presence on display in this world. Thus, in each one of the 8 billion different humans, we catch a glimpse of the divine. But we've also mentioned that all of us are fallen image bearers, which forces us to ask, whose name are we actually making weighty? This is where we can move on from who we are and talk about what we do and how we do it. First, let's remind ourselves about what we do. Scholar J. Richard Middleton argues that every attempt to organize and categorize the creation narrative of Genesis 1 falls short in some sort of way. He argues that this was by God's design to show that while there is an underlying organization to God's design in our world, it is in fact a project that remains free to be sculpted even further. Most of us like to imagine the Garden of Eden that looks perfect and complete where humans don't have to do anything but chill out and reap the benefits of what God has already made. But Middleton argues here that God used his artistic freedom and embedded a beautiful chaos into our world that is both highly organized in its functionality, yet essentially raw and untamed. Middleton argues that this was all intended by God to hand over the reins of his creation to his image bearers so that we as humans would rule over this barren and uninhabited garden. And in so doing, reflect God's nature by populating it with human life and subduing it however we saw fit. Here's what I mean. Remember those passages in Genesis 2 that randomly talk about these different rivers and trees and and gardening and abundance of raw materials like gold, onyx, bedelium. The scriptures are essentially portraying a world that is oozing with raw potential for which humans are commissioned to work and keep. The Hebrew word keep, shamar, confirms this idea as it carries connotations of cultivation and development. While the Hebrew word that is translated work here, abad, is actually translated in other places as service and worship. Isn't that interesting? Those words, work, Worship, service, cultivation, development are all so closely intertwined. So let me ask this. 
When was the last time you ever thought of your work as a way to worship, serve, and give glory to God? When we think about what we do, we learn that our working contribution matters as we reflect on our calling as image bearers to subdue, work, keep, and cultivate our corner of the earth. When I think about this teaching that every contribution matters, I think of the simple things that made this podcast episode happen. The chair I'm sitting in, for example, had to be designed with fabric and manufactured with wood. The technology I'm using to record this had to be intricately pieced together. The car I drove to work today is magnificently complicated, especially for a guy who doesn't really know engines very well. The roads I used to get here had to be paved somehow. The sanitary conditions of our environment make the office I am sitting in inhabitable. The books I read for this project had to be written and published. The food I ate had to be prepared to sustain me. The worldview I have developed over time largely instilled by my parents. The entertainment I enjoyed to refuel me after all these deep dives on complicated philosophical topics. Each and every contribution to the human project matters and moves civilization towards a certain direction. The last piece of the puzzle, then, is where are our contributions going? In which direction are we moving humanity with what we do? And here is where we need to add this final piece. How are we doing what we do? In other words, with my contribution, whatever that is, whose name am I making kavod or weighty? As we've already seen in this series, all of humanity has inherited a sinful nature. So this is the question in the Bible that is elevated to the forefront. You see, because our inclination is to work and keep the earth, not in the likeness of God, but for ulterior motives that more often than not revolved around self-preservation and self-satisfaction. I think of a particular Friends episode where Phoebe challenges Joey to do something that is not selfish. So naturally, Joey goes to serve some stranger and he leaves that experience saying, man, that felt really good. To which Phoebe replies, see, at the end of the day, you served just to feel good about yourself, which means You're not selfless at all. You're still selfish. Indeed, what wretched, selfish sinners we all are. But it is in this hopeless state of selfishness that Jesus Christ humbles himself to become a human being like us. He lives an entirely selfless life, free of sin, so much so that he lays down his life voluntarily in order that we sinners might have eternal life. Romans 5 verse 7 to 8 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even think about dying. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here has been the basic contention of this entire series. What if we actually start reflecting the likeness of Jesus in this life? What if you as a Christian have the Holy Spirit in you working in you right now? 
to make you a contributor in this world, but not just any contributor, one who actually can be selfless, who can act out of a true love, who can die to themselves and pick up our cross to serve others, who are focused on making God's name great and seeing others around them thrive just like Jesus did. The church really can become a community known by their love. This is why I like how Tim Keller describes our task as royal image bearers. Yes, we subdue the earth by, quote, rearranging the raw material of God's creation, end quote. But he adds to that. He says that we do this, quote, in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. Subduing the world, or what we do, fulfills the cultural mandate of Genesis 1. The Holy Spirit-driven manner by which we work and keep the garden, or how we do it, fulfills the law in the way we contribute out of a selfless love for God and for others. You can see Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40. Finally, the end game of this work contributes to the Great Commission of Matthew 28 as we seek the eternal welfare of the nations, as we seek to make disciples, teach them the ways of God, all making God's name kavod. In all three of these different ways, you are a contributor, and we are progressively learning how to contribute out of a spirit-driven, selfless love. Which brings us to the final question of today's episode. How does this concept help us understand what it means to enjoy God forever? While we don't know exactly what eternity in heaven will look like, the Bible does in fact mention that we will reign over the earth alongside Jesus, the one who possesses all authority. Speaking to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, we see that there is this vision of reigning with a rod of iron and returning back to the throne for which we were made. In Revelation 5, we discover that in the end, God's people will have fully realized their status as a kingdom and priests to our God who shall, quote unquote, reign on earth. Finally, in Revelation chapter 20 through 22, we find passages that suggest that God's people will reign once again under the good authority of Jesus, free of the curse. Now, if you've learned anything over this series of devotionals, hopefully you now understand what the Bible entails when it uses reigning or ruling language. Again, we don't know what this looks like in its perfected eternal state, but we do know that we are destined to perfectly fulfill the cultural mandate with what we do. You know that satisfying feeling that you get when you're doing exactly what you love and accomplishing something purposeful with your life? This is only a glimpse of what I imagine we'll experience for the rest of eternity as we contribute to God's project of making all things new. In the same way, we're also destined to perfectly fulfill the law of God as we selflessly love others with how we do what we do. You know that rush you get when you do something for someone just to see them flourish? Again, tastes of what it will be like when we return to that original vision of Garden Shalom, where we live in harmony with God and one another. 
yet you still might be thinking that this sounds like an awfully long time to spend working and loving others. This may or may not sound all that appealing. Besides, our culture says that the party is in hell, right? What about me and my needs? Listeners, don't miss this. Even though God infused a rhythm of royal work and contribution that would selflessly contribute to the lives of others, we are also reminded that God foreshadows a peaceful rest and fulfillment in his provision on that seventh day where we rest and enjoy God. And so putting all the pieces together, we start the journey in the raw, potential-laden garden, begging to be cultivated, And we end our story in this ever-advancing garden city in which God will dwell with his people. There will be no more curse, no more pain, no more suffering, and every tear will be wiped away. We'll be thrilled daily as we live out our royal calling to the fullest and do what we have always been created to do, all in a way that serves others towards God's glory for all eternity. All the while, We enjoy God forever as we routinely discover new things in paradise as we live alongside God who is making all things new.